Now this is a story all about how a life got twisted turned upside down and I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there, I'll tell you all a little story of STDs in the air. That's all I got. I'm not that good with ad-libbing. You should have seen how many times it took before I actually nailed that decently enough during any recordings. Anyways, welcome back to a brand spanking new week and a brand new episode of People Are Wild. It's the podcast that is just so excited to even be here on a weekly basis. Now, my name is Kim, and I'm your friendly neighborhood ER nurse of a host, here to bring you some wisdom and wit in a medical sense. I travel across the country for work, I'm a host of a podcast, and my alter ego is a T-Rex. All I'm saying, guys, out there is that I'm kind of a keeper, you'll want me to to go and meet your parents. You should put a ring on it. Anyways, I realized that what I'm about to talk about is a little bit late, but I just haven't really fully recovered from the majesty and the beauty that was the royal wedding until recently. Although for me, the true royal wedding happened in Shrek with Shrek and Fiona, let's just be real, but Meghan and Harry were a sight to behold. And maybe even the better part of it were the memes that were produced from that day, because they were just as iconic as the wedding itself. And that's what really matters, right? Making things memeable. Memeable? Is that a word? It is now. Now, Megan, she looked radiant. She was beaming, smiling wide, ear to ear. And I was not. I woke up entirely too early. I was watching the coverage on TLC, which, okay, the American correspondent on TLC kept asking the weirdest questions to her British counterpart. God save the queen indeed on that one. She kept going on and on about if Megan is reapplying lip gloss when they were waiting for Megan to leave where she had stayed to go to the chapel. It was a whole weird obsession that this correspondent had with Megan's lip gloss. Needless to say, I was ecstatic that during the ceremony, the correspondence said nothing. Now, by the way, Pippa Middleton's dress designer obviously waited until the last second and drew inspiration from a can of Arizona iced tea that they probably had on their desk. Side note, that actually is not made in Arizona. I think it's made in New York, if I remember correctly, but either way, not made in Arizona for Arizona iced tea. Myth busted. Also, just as a quick side note, side note, side note to a side note, whatever. As a quick note, does it cancel it out? Idris Elba, or James Bond, as we will no doubt be calling him soon after the Daniel Craig's last go around as the 007. He looked magnificent. And also Serena Williams, the first lady of Reddit, is all of my life goals in one person as she wore sneakers to the reception underneath her full length gown. I feel that on so many levels, Miss Serena. Shout out to all the brides out there who have that bucket of flip flops at their receptions. You guys are the true MVPs, hallowed be your name. All in all, I thought it was fantastic. In fact, just thinking about it gets me a little emotional. I'm sorry. I'm getting verklempt. Talk amongst yourselves real quick. I'll give you a topic. Rhode Island, neither a road nor much of an island. Discuss. Okay, I'm composed. I'm in control. You see, the royal wedding was the best palate cleanser for what I had been previously watching in order to prepare, I guess, for this episode. How's that for a segue? Because it's time to break out my Brett Michaels prayer candle, smells like roses, and I'm preparing by listening to the Jonas Brothers bop that is burning up on a loop repeat for about an hour, so I am ready, if you are ready, to talk about how people are wild. 
Now, I need to preface this episode is due to an errant tweet that got a little bit out of control. Yes, like a real housewife's dinner party, it escalated quickly. And now here we are at the reunion sitting on opposite couches. Maybe. I hope not. See, I decided one night after a particularly trying shift to unwind by watching one of my favorite shows, Rock of Love with Brett Michaels. Since 1986, when MTV introduced the world to the blue-eyed singer of Poison, women around the world have worshipped Brett Michaels as a veritable rock god. Never out of the spotlight, Brett's career is still rocking with Poison as well as being a successful solo artist. Now, as a result, the women are still lining up in hopes of lying down with the sexy star, but demands of life on the road for the ultimate rocker have taken a toll on his love life. That's just the first paragraph from the show's website, which is still actually on the VH1 website. This classic VH1 reality show that occurred almost 10 years ago, yeah, for real, found the rock star type 1 diabetic looking for a lady to love. His rock of love. Did it work? Maybe. This show was smack dab in the middle of reality TV shows catching fire. Shows like Flavor of Love, Temptation Island, Blind Date, and The Bachelor, Bachelor Nation, where are you at, were all starting off so there were no standards. And judging by the newer reality shows on TV currently, there are still not really any standards. I'm looking right at you, Bridal Plasty. Anyways, Rock of Love was another gimmicky show that stuck a quote-unquote celebrity in a position to find a love connection. But how would he make this choice amongst a bevy of women? Mudbowl peep shows making over other women and copious exchanges of saliva somehow narrowed down Brett's field. But damn it, it made for good TV and made for even better rewatching after a draining shift. And that's exactly what I was doing watching season two. They made three of these bad boys when I made a tweet that I didn't really think anything about. I mentioned something along the lines of being inspired by the women on Rock of Love to make an episode about STDs. I mean, on one of the episodes, the women get into an argument and mention how they were recently tested and how that person was all clean and the other person was questionable. Their STD status was part of their talking points. What did we do to deserve Rock of Love? Although, there's a quick aside I need to mention. In season three with Brittany, they joke about carrying her body after she got eliminated, spoiler alert, in one of their duffel bags, which is a bizarre foreshadowing because on season two, Megan was a contestant. Megan? Who's Megan? That's Megan from Megan Wants a Millionaire, which had Ryan Jenkins in it. And if you connect the dots there and look up the name Ryan Jenkins and duffel bags carrying bodies, it's a lot of yarn on my wall drawing all these connections. Actually, no, no, no. It looked more like Carrie Matheson's wall on Brody circa season one of Homeland, but you can make some connections and they're kind of creepy. Back on task. I made a comment on Twitter about how watching Rock of Love is inspiring me to devote an episode to STDs. And then I forgot that the internet works in mysterious ways because before I knew it, I got a reply that essentially said, why don't you? And challenged me to do it. Now, normally I'd give him the old, <laughs> perhaps later. But this reply came from a particularly interesting source. Shout out to the amazing peeps at STD Test Express for being responsible for this one. This is all your fault. Just kidding, I think. So STD Test Express has a simple mission. They want to provide fast, private, and affordable STD tests with the highest quality medical care in an online setting. Definitely going to get into that one a little bit later on about how they do the voodoo that they do, but first I have to address the shoop-a-doop that is STDs. 
So STDs, much like fanny packs and Carmen Sandiego, are making a comeback. In the U.S., the highest ever number of cases of chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis were recorded in 2016. There were 2 million cases overall. Of those, 1.6 million were from the village's retirement community in Florida. No, I'm joking. Not really. No, of these 2 million cases, 1.6 million were chlamydia, and nearly half of these diagnoses were young women. Syphilis rates grew about 18% from 2015 to 2016, and most of these cases were men. And there was a 36% increase in women with the disease and a 28% increase in babies born with syphilis. There was also a 22% increase in gonorrhea diagnoses for men. And this is concerning because that disease is becoming resistant to the two antibiotics that are used to treat them. But let's take it back one time, and before doing one hop this time into bed, it's time to talk about what STDs really are. So whether you consider yourself some sort of Don Juan, or like that one guy says in the classic 80s dating video montage clip that you should find on YouTube, a Donna Juanita, or even a sexual noob of sorts, everyone can get the most pleasure out of sex with a little bit more knowledge in their back pocket about STDs and the importance of testing. And that's what this episode is going to attempt to do by discussing STDs and creating some more awareness on why it's so important to get tested regularly. So jumping right into it, let's talk about chlamydia. Now, I actually knew someone who named their child chlamydia because it was fresh, exotic, and unique. That was the mom's reasoning. My only hope is that their child has grown up to not resent their name and definitely not have some sort of horrible, self-fulfilling prophecy. But then again, statistics might not be in their favor. Chlamydia is one of the most common STDs in the United States. On average, it affects 3 to 4 million people every year. Chlamydia is caused by the bacteria Chlamydia tractomyotis and can be found in the vagina, cervix, urethra, and rectum, as well as the throat or eyes. Chlamydia often comes without symptoms, which is why it spreads so easily. Unfortunately, it can also come with dire consequences if left untreated. So it's important to be aware of the risk and to get tested. Chlamydia often has no symptoms in women, but can include vaginal irritation, vaginal discharge, lower abdominal pain, and burning feeling with urination. In men, the first symptoms are usually painful urination and pus coming from the urethra, which were to the wise all you fellas out there. If you have pus coming from your urethra, pus coming out of your penis, you need to get tested like yesterday. Also, purulent should be the only word to describe anything that oozes out pus from anywhere, except no substitutes, especially if you try and rhyme it with fussy. Now, symptoms may start within a few days or may take months to to develop after sexual exposure. In women, the disease can lead to scarring of the fallopian tubes, sterility, infertility, ectopic pregnancy, or chronic pelvic pain. In men, the organism is thought to be responsible for half the cases of epididymitis, an infection of the epididymis, which is a series of tiny tubes that lie on top of the testicle. This can cause painful swelling of the testicle, and that's actually not uncommon to see men coming into the ER for with a complaint of testicular pain, and it ends up being epididymitis, and they go home with an antibiotic, which for most men helps to clear it up completely. 
Now, although doctors can successfully treat chlamydia with doxycycline or other antibiotics, they often have difficulty diagnosing the disease because of the lack of visible symptoms. People who have chlamydia and don't take all the medicine for the full time that it's prescribed, meaning they don't empty out the bottle, often get the disease again because they aren't fully cured the first time around. So this stresses the importance of taking your full course of antibiotics, dang it. In general, when you get an infection and you're prescribed an antibiotic, if you don't finish off that bottle as directed, even when you start to feel better, you're setting yourself up for a bigger and badder infection to channel its inner radio head as it'll creep and be a weirdo. And what the hell is it doing here? It doesn't belong here. But seriously, it'll make that infection come back like it's T-1000 from Terminator 2. So you have to make sure to always complete the course of antibiotics for any infection to make sure it's hasta la vista, baby. I'm not really even going to try and impersonate Arnold. I play to my strengths. Although most people who have chlamydia have no symptoms and thus don't even know that they have the disease, they can still suffer the long-range consequences. Because chlamydia is so common, people who have sex with multiple partners, especially if they don't know and don't use a condom, should be tested whenever they change partners or after any unprotected sex with a new partner. Also, once treated, people are encouraged to be tested again for chlamydia about three months later. Now, this is because up to 20% of young women are re-exposed to chlamydia and need to be retreated. The most common reason for re-exposure is a sexual partner who hasn't been adequately treated. So, suck it up. Take the meds for the 7 to 10 days as prescribed and make your life easier, damn it. Now, the sexual partners of anyone who has or is thought to have chlamydia or any other STD should be examined and treated. Those diagnosed with an STD should inform their partners immediately so that they too can be examined and treated to prevent complications and avoid spreading the infection. Now, gonorrhea often accompanies chlamydia, and so doctors usually treat the two together. Gonorrhea was historically a disease that was considered rarely seen in the world of STDs, but as stated before, in the past few years, there has been a noticeable increase in this disease reappearing. Now, it is caused by a bacteria called Neisseria gonorrhea, or whatever. I don't know. It's also called the clap or the drip. Yes, that's the one that's called the clap. Now, fun fact, it's called it because it's taken from the old French word for brothel, which is clapier, which I probably didn't even remotely pronounce correctly. But try to weave that little fact into your dinner conversations tonight. 50% of women and 10% of men with the disease show no symptoms, so they don't know they have it. Now, when symptoms do occur, women may have a green or yellow-green discharge from the vagina, frequent, often burning urination, pelvic pain, swelling, or tenderness of the vulva, and possibly arthritic-like pain in the shoulder. Men may have pain during urination or pus-like drainage from the urethra. Penicillin was the treatment of choice for gonorrhea, but because more recent strands of the disease have become penicillin resistant, doctors now use a penicillin-adjacent medication called ceftriaxone. Yay, Rosefin! Shots, 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 everybody! But seriously. Some more facts and a summary about chlamydia and gonorrhea, okay? Let's just kind of wrap this up and 
put a bow on it. They are transmitted by having oral, anal, or vaginal sex with a person who already has the disease. The infection is spread throughout semen and vaginal fluids, but the transmission of the disease is not dependent on ejaculation. Once again, I think we come to that game I like to accidentally play called How Many Times Does Kim Say Ejaculation in One Episode? So while the infection comes from these fluids, it can infect the eyes and throat in addition to the vagina, cervix, penis, urethra, and anus. Anyone can get either disease, even if they have been diagnosed and treated for them before. However, since these fluids are required to transmit the bacteria, you cannot get either STD through casual contact. So that whole myth about getting STDs from toilet seats or getting chlamydia or gonorrhea from holding hands, hugging, sneezing, or sharing food, it's not true. It's very unlikely to get chlamydia or gonorrhea from kissing, even kissing someone with the infection in their throat. Anyone can get either disease, even if they've been diagnosed and treated for them before, though. Additionally, both STDs can pass onto newborns during childbirth if the mother is infected and remains untreated. The same risk factors like having unprotected sex, having multiple partners in a given time frame, and being between the ages of 14 and 24 apply to gonorrhea as well as chlamydia. Now, certain traits do increase that likelihood of contracting chlamydia or gonorrhea, and let's explore those a little bit more right now. Engaging with multiple sexual partners in one year. So the more partners you engage with, the more likely you are to be exposed to an infected person and get any STD. Having unprotected sex also increases the likelihood of developing an STD. Condoms can reduce the likelihood of you getting any STD. However, condoms are never 100% effective. If you are concerned you might get an STD or you have one, you should get tested regardless of whether or not you used a condom in your last sexual encounter. Now, being younger than 24 makes it so that individuals tend to practice unprotected sex more than any other age group and are less likely to be tested. Now, that is in one article I read. I would kind of debate that and put that we're seeing more of the geriatric, the older populations coming in with STDs as well. They get it in their head that they too do not need to have any sort of protection in place because they're older. And so we're seeing our geriatric population, our villages in Florida, popping up with some of the highest incidences of chlamydia and gonorrhea. So old people, you guys need to glove up to. Previous diagnosis of an STD also increases the likelihood that you will get a reoccurrence of it. If you've already contracted an STD, it increases your body's susceptibility to contracting another STD. So it can be common for those who have contracted gonorrhea or chlamydia to be at risk for one or the other, or even HIV. If you contract gonorrhea, though, you are at greater risk of contracting HIV. So can chlamydia turn into gonorrhea? Well, no. They're two different bacterias, but it does happen that people can contract and carry both at the same time. So more often than not, a lot of time doctors will prescribe medication in order to address both of these diseases, both of these infections. So did you know that back in the day, mercury was used in the treatment of syphilis? Seriously. Now you think mommy bloggers in 2018 spread some questionable remedies for things? No, the 1700s got them beat. Mercury saunas were a thing, and inhaling mercury was a way of treating syphilis. And it was thought that if the person was drooling more, that meant that the disease was leaving the body. And we thought WebMD was troublesome in healthcare. But we've evolved, sort of, thankfully, and been able to take syphilis down for the count. But what is syphilis. 
So syphilis is sometimes known as the pox, as in don't let the pox into your home or anyone else's. But it's also known as the great imitator, as many a time in the earliest part of the disease process, the symptoms mimic those of other diseases. And sometimes misdiagnoses are made before the true syphilis diagnosis is actually done and correctly diagnosed. In the 1990s, there was a decrease in the number of people infected with syphilis. But as stated before, more recently, there has been a steady increase in reported cases of syphilis, especially in young adults and in men who have male sexual partners. Now, syphilis is caused by a bacteria, one that is really long and that I will butcher the name of. So I'm just going to tell you that it's a bacteria that's known as a spirochete. And that means that if you were looking at this under a microscope, it would look like a corkscrew or a spiral. So this syphilis, this bacteria, can be passed from one person to another person through direct contact with an actual syphilitic sore during vaginal, anal, and or oral sex. Sores can occur on the penis, vagina, anus, or rectum, or on the lips and inside the mouth. It is also possible for a mother to pass syphilis to her baby during pregnancy or delivery, and this could potentially cause a miscarriage or stillbirth, or even seizures and developmental delays in the baby. Now, the good news is syphilis in its early stages is easily treated and curable with antibiotics, most commonly penicillin. Now, left untreated though, syphilis can lead to serious health problems down the road, including brain, cardiovascular, and organ damage, and it'll increase your risk of getting other STDs like HIV. Syphilis is the most infectious during the primary and secondary stages of infection. The earlier syphilis is diagnosed, the more successfully it can be treated and cured. Now, while syphilis can be silent for years, its symptoms typically occur in the following three stages, with symptoms and complications becoming more serious over time. Caught early, syphilis can be cured, and that's why getting tested is so important. You're going to hear me repeating this a lot. It's going to be like an echo, but getting tested is so important. So in the primary stage of syphilis symptoms, which usually occur within two to three weeks of exposure, guess what? There's no obvious symptoms. At most, maybe a painless sore, which is really small or even hidden, might be somewhere on you. And oftentimes it's a single sore and it's round and firm and it's painless and it appears wherever the body was first infected. So that means that it could appear anywhere in the vagina, penis, anus, rectum, or even the mouth area. And if it's internal, like inside your throat or inside of some sort of canal or cavity, you might not even know you have it. So this sore may also seem to heal without treatment, but without actual treatment, the infection just advances to the more serious secondary stage. Now, some uncommon things that you might see in this beginning primary stage is swollen lymph nodes, multiple round, firm, and painless sores, or a skin rash. Now, that's really rare for the primary stage of syphilis. Going into the secondary stage of syphilis, which occurs within two to 12 weeks after the primary stage symptoms, people who don't get treated for it in its primary stage, they're going to stay infected and move into the secondary stage for up to one year. Now, as in the primary stage, the secondary stage sores may go away without treatment, but the syphilis infection, those spirochetes, will continue to advance and spread through the bloodstream. So what's now common at this sign is swollen lymph nodes, headaches, fatigue, sore throat, and skin rash. What are more uncommon seen in the second stage are the sores on the 
vaginal area, the penis area, or the anus or the rectum. There's also sometimes some moist wart-like patches in the skin folds or on the genitals. A loss of appetite or unintended weight loss, fevers and chills, muscle aches and hair loss are uncommon things to see, but have been known to be seen in the secondary stage. Now you move to the latent stage of syphilis symptoms. This might be hidden for up to 30 years. So usually there's no obvious symptoms. The whole time, your body's been just kind of doing its thing and you think that everything's okay, and then maybe 30 years later from your first exposure, suddenly you have really, really bad health. Muscle weakness, lack of coordination, problems with your internal organs, like your brain, heart, kidney, or liver, you know, things that you can't live without, bone or joint deformities. Sometimes people end up even getting paralysis, blindness, impaired speech, or even dementia. Syphilis can be horribly bad when it's trying to, you know, channel the late 1990s infomercial in terms of being a girl gone wild and just going crazy in your system. So did I just attach a gender to an infection? I might have. It's kind of late right now when I'm recording. I don't know what day it is. Just hold on with me for this whole thing. But the thing is, if you get tested, you can get early treatment and kick the pox, the old syphilis beat, to the curb. A round of penicillin for you and your friends. Now, depending on the stage, though, the doctor can make a diagnosis by examining the discharge from the actual sores under a special microscope, or sometimes they do a blood test to look for signs of infection. Either way, you need to let the doctor know what's the best way that they can contact you because you probably want to make sure that you get a yes or no about these test results. Early stages of syphilis are easily cured with antibiotics. Someone who's been infected for a while, though, will maybe need a longer treatment time for their antibiotics. But then you come to the late signs. And unfortunately, the damage to the body from the late stages of syphilis cannot be cured. However, even in the late stage, it is important to get treatment to prevent further damage. Anyone with whom you've had sex with should also be checked for syphilis immediately. And if you're going along the lines of famous people who've had syphilis, it's a really interesting list. Tolstoy, Hitler, Lenin, and Al Capone are all interesting participants on that list. Yikes. Dimitri Martin, who does not have syphilis, I think, once said, quote, I like to do crafts. I work with glitter quite a bit. Don't worry. I make tough stuff like daggers and skulls. The thing about glitter is, if you get it on you, be prepared to have it on you forever, because glitter is the herpes of craft supplies. So really, though, what is herpes? It's the gift that keeps on giving if you ask a patient who just got diagnosed with it in the ER, which has actually happened a few times to patients I've taken care of. They come in for a rash and, like, pain in their genitals, and we have to do an exam and then tell them that it looks like you have herpes. Their face drops, their emotions are in overdrive as they try to comprehend what that entails and who they need to murder in order to avenge the fact that they were not told earlier. It's sad. It's really sad and you feel angry for those patients. Herpes has a reputation and while it should take a page from Joan Jett and not give a damn about its bad reputation, it's hard not to, right? I mean, you see those Valtrex commercials. Do they still have those? I don't know. I remember the Valtrex commercials where they showed like people kayaking and laughing while cooking in slow motion and jumping into piles of leaves. And then you hear the narrator start in on talking about herpes and how you can have a normal life in between outbreaks. And you can't help but think, yikes, that sucks to have herpes. But let's get ready for a few truth bombs. 
because having herpes is not actually as rare as people may think. More than 500 million people are living with genital herpes, which is caused by the herpes simplex virus 2, the HSV2 for short. Now, HSV1, fun fact, is what causes cold sores and or fever blisters and is not an STD. About 80% of American adults have oral herpes. About 25% of adults have genital herpes, though most are not aware of it and their symptoms are too mild sometimes to even notice, but they can still pass the disease on. And the thing that needs to be remembered with HSV2 is that it's a virus, and viruses don't go away with antibiotics. So your Valtrex, your Acyclovir, those are all antiviral meds that help with symptom management. HSV2 does not go away. There's no cure for herpes. So the most common symptoms of genital herpes arise from a rash with clusters of white, blistery sores appearing on the vagina, cervix, penis, mouth, anus, or other body parts like the thighs. This rash can cause pain, itching, burning sensations, swollen glands, fever, headache, and a sort of general fatigue rundown feeling. The first symptoms may be more severe than the symptoms of later outbreaks because the immune system is not as well prepared to fight off the disease the first time around. However, a person may have no symptoms, and his or her first outbreak may occur months or even years after exposure. HSV2 symptoms can occur on the thighs, buttocks, anus, or pubis. People who suffer only mild symptoms may mistake them in turn for some other conditions such as insect bites, jock itch, yeast infections, hemorrhoids, or ingrown hair follicles. Some lesions may be so small that they remain invisible to the human eye. And if a small lesion appears inside a woman's vagina, she'll never really see it. Now, although these symptoms can lead to discomfort, they aren't dangerous. And herpes doesn't affect the immune system or lead to other health problems. Most people think that herpes is contagious only when the sores are present. But studies have shown that some people may spread the disease during the few days just before the outbreak starts when they have no sores. An infected person may figure out how to recognize the warning signs that occur during this phase, which may include itching, tingling, or a painful feeling where the lesions will develop. During pregnancy, herpes can cause miscarriage or stillbirth, and the disease can be passed on to newborns, especially if the mother contracts the disease during her third trimester. A mother who has herpes before this usually passes on her antibodies to the baby. If the sores are active during childbirth, they pose serious health consequences for the baby. To avoid these consequences, doctors usually perform C-sections when active sores are visible during the time of childbirth. Now, if you have herpes or you know somebody who does, you should always use a condom when having sex, unless your partner already has the disease, which is kind of like this weird thing where it's like, well, if you both got it, do you really need protection from it? It's not like you're going to get it worse, right? And I think as long as you are in a committed relationship with the one person as your partner, then yeah, maybe you can forego a condom. But if that's not the case, you should use a condom and know that condoms can't entirely protect you from herpes. If the man has the disease and the only sores are on his penis, then a condom offers you some protection for the woman. However, because vaginal secretions may leak over the pelvic area, not protected by the condom, the condom doesn't protect men as much. And if the herpes virus is being shed from another part of the body, such as the hips or buttocks, a condom offers no protection at all. Talk about a 
condom conundrum. Now, herpes can spread beyond genital contact to other parts of the already infected person's body. If you touch a herpes sore, always wash your hands thoroughly before touching anyone else or any part of your body. Be aware that oral herpes can be transmitted by kissing, sharing towels, or drinking from the same glass or cup. Now remember, that's oral herpes, not genital herpes. So we're talking about HSV-1, which a lot of people have. Genital herpes is HSV-2. So you can get cold sores, you can get the HSV-1 by sharing towels or drinking from the same glass or cup or kissing. Now, new treatments for genital herpes include more accurate tests, and although doctors still have no cure for herpes itself, new medications are effective at keeping the virus in check and symptoms managed. Acyclovir has been around since the 1970s. Valtrex and Famvir have a more active ingredient and are better absorbed and need to be taken less frequently than acyclovir, but for most people, you'll find them on one of these medications, one of these three meds. So if you see that in your date's medicine cabinet, maybe you can introduce the topic of STDs or maybe just keep it to yourself. Do whatever you need to with that information. Why are you snooping around their medicine cabinet? Actually, I get it. It is kind of like a Curious George situation, isn't it? Well, if you find that they have a prescription for that, it probably is a good idea to just have some sort of discussion about STDs. And if you're really having a good vibe about a person, especially if you think about the fact that you want to have sex with them, you definitely need to talk about protection and what might be going on with the other person. That's just being responsible for your own sexual health. So pro- being responsible for your sexual health on this podcast. Now, see a doctor if you suspect you have the disease. Now, you're doing this both to make sure that the herpes really is the cause of the symptoms and to learn how to live with herpes and not spread it to others. If you are infected, the doctor can give you a set of rules and guidelines to follow to help keep you from contaminating other people as well as other parts of your body. Studies also have shown that if someone whose partner has herpes takes Valtrex, their chances of becoming infected are much less. So put that in your back pocket right next to your condom. Researchers now believe that herpes lesions act as an entryway for HIV so that people infected by herpes are actually much more likely to become infected with HIV if they come into contact with the virus. So although herpes itself may not be deadly, having herpes can have deadly consequences. But once again, herpes is an incurable disease and so is HPV. You know, the disease you see those weird commercials for on YouTube before you're trying to watch a video of live news bloopers. I hate that commercial so much. Did you know, mom? Did you know, dad? Okay, I should slow down too because <sighs> I have my own personal opinions on the HPV vaccination and I'm just going to hold it all in like it's anger directed at my ex, but instead of waiting for it to come out and all explode, I'm just going to keep it in check, in lock, and focus on the facts. So HPV is human papilloma virus, and that causes cervical, vulvar, vaginal, anal, penile, and oral warts and can lead to cancer. At least 100 strands of HPV exist, many of which are rare and could be insignificant. However, four strands of HPV cause most cases of cervical cancer and genital warts. The virus is transferred by sexual contact and condoms don't always protect against infection. It is estimated that around 80% of people who have ever had sex have contracted at least one strand of HPV. Genital warts can be spread through vaginal, anal, or oral sex. They can also be passed on to infants during childbirth. Now, the warts are not always visible. They are more than likely soft and flat. 
and they can grow on the genitals, in the urethra, in the inner vagina, in the anus, or even in the throat. And I've seen some photos of people who have genital warts in their throat. It's an interesting Google image search if you're into that. Now, the warts are often itch, and if allowed to grow, can actually block openings of the vagina, anus, or throat, which can cause a great deal of discomfort. Because genital warts can be microscopic and therefore unseen by the naked eye, they can easily be passed on to sexual partners. High-risk strands of HPV do exist and can cause cervical lesions, which over a period of time can develop into cervical cancer if untreated. Doctors can detect HPV lesions with annual pap smears, which is why all sexually active women should have a yearly pap smear. I cannot stress that enough. Make it an annual thing. The use of pap smears has drastically reduced the incidence of cervical cancer, which, by the way, here's a concept. What if they had a restaurant that served bagels and also had an OBGYN and they could call it pap smears? It's a million dollar idea. I know it is. Anyways, doctors can treat genital warts in several ways, including topical medical creams, some of which require a prescription and some of which don't. But it should go without saying, over-the-counter medications for other types of warts should not be used on the genitals. Do not use freeze away for plantar warts on your nether regions, okay? Just make me that promise. Don't put that in your business. That'll probably warrant genital hospital part two electric boogaloo being an episode in my future. In cases of either large or persistent warts, other treatments may include surgical removal, freezing using liquid nitrogen, or cauterization by electric needles. Ouch! and because doctors have no cure for HPV, genital warts can reoccur, and the virus can remain in the person's cells indefinitely, though often in a latent state, which means it's not active. Most people who have reoccurring genital warts have only one more episode, and even in rare cases of people with multiple reoccurrences, the body's immune system usually develops immunity within two years. Now, on the other hand, removing a person's genital warts does not mean that he or she can't transmit the disease. And although condoms offer some protection against the spread of HPV, they provide no guarantee against its transmission because they don't cover the entire genital area. There are over 100 types of HPV, and vaccinations cover a few of them that have been linked to cervical cancer. Girls and boys can receive the vaccination, but my advice is this. Do your research, talk to a doctor, and get some feedback from those in the medical community regarding where they stand on the vaccination. And I'll leave it at that in terms of Gardasil and all of that. If I go any further, I'll burst a blood vessel in my eyeball. Very quickly, but I do want to mention this as well. HIV is an STD. I won't be necessarily covering it in depth as I wanted to devote a separate episode to it. So I will say this, at least 43 million people live with HIV and people are living longer with amazing amazing, healthy, good quality of life. It's more complicated topic that I want to get into on its own sort of platform. So just know this, that it is no longer a death sentence to be HIV positive as it was once, uh, only a few decades ago, really. There's been a lot of amazing strides made in the HIV treatments and medications that need to be properly discussed in its own little episode. So look forward to that one, everyone. No, there's no great segue for this. So let's just go for it. Let's do the damn thing, if you will. Crabs. 
Nasty little buggers, but especially when they're the non-edible variety. Pubic lice can be present around the genitals in the form of an egg called a nit, a small crab-like louse called a nymph, or a full-grown adult louse that's called Derek. Just kidding, it looks like a larger crab than a nymph. Pubic lice survive by feeding on blood, and they can cause itching and irritation around the genitals. Some people only discover they have pubic lice when they actually see nits or crawling lice. Oh my god. Although most cases of pubic lice are spread through sexual contact, in some cases they can spread through sharing a towel or bed linens with an affected person. Treatment is relatively easy as lice killing lotions get the job done. The biggest thing is when you start feeling an itch down there and seeing creepy crawlies in your business, get to your doctor sooner rather than later. Don't be that nasty person that everyone makes a filth face when they speak about you. Okay, now I feel itchy everywhere, but I'm going to power through because I'm a champ because we're going to talk about this final STD that is also the most prevalent non-viral STD with a whopping 140 million new cases being reported every year. So I'm going to address the one STD that I had probably the most trouble pronouncing behind the scenes, but let's go for it. Trichomoniasis, or trick, is a very common sexually transmitted disease. It is caused by infection from a parasite called the Trichomonas vaginalis. Although symptoms of the disease vary. Most people who have the parasite cannot tell that they are infected. Trick is spread through vaginal, oral, or anal sex and can be spread even if there are no symptoms. This means you can get it from someone who has no signs or symptoms. Trick is more common in women than men and it affects more than 2 million women ages 14 to 49 in the United States alone. Most infected women have no symptoms. So if you do get symptoms, they will appear sometimes, well, they might appear 5 to 28 days after exposure and can include irritation and itching in the genital area, thin or frothy discharge with an unusual foul odor that can be clear, white, yellow, or greenish, discomfort during sex and when urinating, and lower abdominal pain. Now, trick is easily cured with antibiotics. If you are treated for it, your sexual partners need to be treated as well. Do not have sex until you and your partner have finished taking all of your antibiotics and have no symptoms. Also, another thing, if you have trick, you are actually at higher risk of getting HIV if you are exposed to an HIV positive person. And if you're HIV positive, having trick also raises your risk of passing HIV to your sexual partners. The CDC recommends that women with HIV get screened for trick at least once a year. So again, you need to get tested and treated as soon as possible for all of these STDs. And as much as I applaud those who get tested, you don't need to come to the ER to get an STD test done. For some people, going to the ER is a visit that'll cost a lot of money when you could use different resources that are much more affordable and confidential. I won't lie, when a patient comes to the ER for an STD test, I get to mark off a square on my ER bingo card. Yep, it's a real thing that I made after being inspired by the lovely duo that is the Date with Dateline podcast and their Dateline bingo. Positive STD is a legit square on the bingo card. That being said, you might be listening to this and saying, okay, I get that wanting an STD test is not really an emergency, so I'm not going to go to the ER. But also, I'm not in college anymore, 
and campus health isn't really accessible, and going to an urgent care for an STD test is kind of equally embarrassing. So remember eons ago at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned how I was challenged essentially to do this episode by STD Test Express. Well, let's circle back and talk about those fine peeps who are interested in being all up in your business. STD Test Express provides convenience, quality, private, and fast STD testing. They are one of the few companies out there that do it with an online interactive approach. So you can look at the site at the link that'll be provided in the show notes on their breakdown and all the insurance and all the glorious stuff that goes along with that. But let me tell you this, they're one of the more affordable, if not the most cost effective online companies that does STD testing while also being private. I mean, you don't want to broadcast to anyone that you're concerned about your sexual health even though we should be applauding the fact that people are proactive about getting tested. And if you need more reassurance that they won't tell the world, check this out straight from their site. Privacy is one of their core values. STD testing is a private manner, and they get that. They are HIPAA compliant through and through and they send discrete communications to your inbox. You'll never see something that says STD testing appear in your credit card statement or in your email. When you go to the lab for testing, you don't need to go to the front desk and say why you're there. You just go up there and say, hey, I have some lab test orders, and that's the reason why you're there. Boom. Easy peasy, painless, right? Easy as that. It's no need to tell anybody anything more. So basically, when you go to these websites, you'll take a a little survey uh, algorithm thing of sorts, that'll help to guide you to what tests you need. It gives you the breakdown. You select which ones you're going to do. You go to the lab, you give them the slip for what tests need to be done. They don't ask questions. They just get the samples. It's sent off and the results are sent to you electronically through your email. So everything is done without you ever having to tell anybody that you're concerned about your sexual health. So this is what we need to do. I mean, we need to make sure that there are resources out there that people know about in order to empower them to take charge of their sexual health without feeling embarrassed. To me, it's the equivalent of being able to order food online and not having to talk to people over the phone. You step over the uncomfortable bit that you have, that hang up that you have, but you still address a necessity of what needs to be done. So go check out STD Test Express for yourself because I cannot stress this enough, there is no excuse for not getting tested anymore. Companies like these are removing the embarrassment and even a little bit of the stigma of being able to take charge of your sexual health. Now, I'm going to modify this week's You Got What Stuck Where by sharing a story that I recently read in a magazine article about, well, somebody getting something stuck where. And the what, I think, is a little bit interesting and also very timely for this episode. So just remember, this is adapted from an article written by an anonymous author, so basically I'm just going to quote this verbatim. It happened during an unexpected night of passion in Paris. I picked him up while I was out drinking and took him back to my hotel, where we enjoyed a very enthusiastic one-night stand. We parted ways after the act, and I thought that that was that. I was wrong. Two days later, I made a grisly discovery. As I sat on the toilet early in the morning, I felt something slide out, and there it was. The shriveled piece of latex from 48 hours before. I was in complete shock. How did I not know the condom had gone missing? How had I not felt it inside me for so long? And crucially, what the hell did I do now? Could I be pregnant? Thankfully, this common situation can be rectified easily, but only if you act quickly. Here's what you need to do if it ever happens to you. Number one, 
remove the condom. The condom needs an exit strategy, STAT. At first, you may not even realize that the condom is lurking around inside your vagina, similar to the way you don't feel a tampon after inserting it all the way up. If you're struggling to reach it, try different positions, standing up, squatting, leg on the toilet seat, whatever you gotta do. Although not as enjoyable as the sexual activity that got you in this position in the first place, it's important to get it out as soon as you realize it's stuck up there. If you cannot get it, get some help in getting the condom out, whether that be from your friend or lover. Ugh, hate that word. It might be an uncomfortable situation to be in, but it's likely to be less awkward than getting a doctor to do it. Now examine the condom. The crucial thing here is to determine whether the condom is in one piece or whether it's torn and therefore there might still be some residual products still left inside of you. If it is whole and it's only been up there for a few hours, you could probably skip the next step and go straight to number four. But if not, well... Three, seek medical advice. If you can't get the condom out and you're concerned that pieces of it are still inside of you or it was up there for more than two to four hours, you need to see a doctor. A used condom can harbor bacteria and can cause an infection. And even if it doesn't, you could be at risk of contracting an STD as you essentially had unprotected sex. Arrange for screening and get advice on whether or not you need any further treatment, which might include number four, the morning after pill. The most crucial step and the one that has a ticking clock on it is seeking emergency contraception. Your doctor or local pharmacist can provide you with the morning after pill, which will protect you from unwanted pregnancy. It is most effective when taken within 24 hours of unprotected sex, but can be taken up to 96 hours afterwards, which is about four days. And number five, you gotta know how to stop it from happening again. One of the reasons a condom may slide from your man's penis and end up being stuck inside you could be due to the condom being ill-fitting in the first place. Either it's too loose or too tight. It's not the time for a one-size-fits-all mentality. It's got to be Goldilocks. Just right. And that's how you end up avoiding this unseen sex-in-the-city type MIA condom plotline from happening to you. And you might end up enjoying your bedroom activities a little bit more. So there you go. That's a little different you got what's stuck where. But make sure that if you're practicing safe sex, you're practicing safe sex all the way through. It's kind of like with surgery that you have to count how many sponges went into somebody and how many things that you took out. And if things aren't even at the other end, do a little bit more investigating. You don't want anything retained anywhere. So there you go. A timely you got what's stuck where going into this week, which you guys, it's June now and it's basically summer at this point, or I guess winter in the Southern hemisphere. So take the time to go outside practicing sun safety, of course, and enjoy the great outdoors with family, friends, or even by yourself. However you do it, get outside for a bit if you can and do something that makes you feel happy. Roy T. Bennett wrote once, quote, start each day with a positive thought and a grateful heart, end quote. So I hope you do this going into this new week and as usual, believe in the good. And until next time, remember to glove up and get tested. Over 40 years, Hooker Chemical Corporation dumped over 80 toxic substances at Love Connect. There is substantial medical opinion that continued use of the Dalcon Shield may pose a serious personal health hazard. Oh, I hate all of you!
love you, I hate you! He's accused of orchestrating the largest lotto scam ever. In opening arguments, prosecutor Jerry Miller portrayed Baker as a greedy, money-hungry showman who practiced fraud disguised as religion. Martin Shkreli has become the most hated man in America. My kid's not here! He's dead! Because of him! He ruined my life! Swindled is a podcast that uses narrative storytelling, archival audio, and immersive soundscapes to explore true cases of white-collar crime and corporate greed. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you may get your podcasts. For more information about the show, visit our website at swindledpodcasts.com. Mens rea is the legal principle of intent that must be proved in a number of crimes, such as murder. It means literally, the guilty mind. The Mens Rea podcast explores the most notorious crimes from Ireland and the UK, and the court cases that followed. Every fortnight, a new case is discussed. So if you like hard-hitting, in-depth true crime podcasts, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and subscribe to the Mens Rea podcast today. Okay, early to bed, early to rise makes a woman healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's why you're wiser than me. It's Stephen. Hi, I'm Maurice. I'm an executive by day and a wild man by night. Hi, my name's Monroe. Uh, you've probably already noticed that I have incredibly blue eyes. Hi, my name is Phil. Uh, most of my friends call me Big Phil. Okay, um, I like to talk to people uh, deep into the night. I play guitar. I'm Eitan. Hi, I'm Fred. Hi, my name's Mike, and if you're sitting there watching this tape smoking your cigarette, well, hit the fast-forward button, because I don't smoke and I don't like people who do smoke. I'm not afraid to get sand on my tuxedo if you're not afraid to let the wind mess your hair up a little bit when I take the top down. Perhaps even a, a nice bath with some champagne and candles. Hi, Mom. <laughs> um, I do fashion photography, and I do consider myself a refined valley dude. Okay. I'm looking for a trendy girl with a simple smile. Wait, it says here, oh, excuse me. I don't know, what I'm not looking for is uh, some big overgrown monster that's always thinking about food and... Whoso binds to himself a joy, doth its winged life destroy. Um, I like to uh, do a lot of sailing. I like to outdoor activities. I like climbing. I like travel. I took a sponge ball and <clears throat> was pulling him out of a little girl's ear. Vivacious, foxy. I'm looking for the goddess. Are you the goddess? Who is the goddess? The goddess is the woman, is a woman, is any woman, is all women. A figure that is sexy, slim, tight, excellent legs. Hmm. I'm a 25-year subscriber to both Playboy and the New Yorker magazine. At night, I operate a damsel in distress hotline. I guess you'd call me a knight. Uh, one of my favorite foods is pizza. And just sugar and spice and all those things that are nice. I like to be with people who are, who are as fun and adventuresome as well. Is into having fun. Have fun. 
I enjoy having fun, yes. Looking for somebody who, has, who likes to have a lot of fun. I'm looking for someone to have fun with. I'd uh, love to have a good time, uh, able to have fun. Uh, fun and laughter. And anything that's fun, I like to have fun. And, uh, and have a lot of fun. Are you looking for me? No fatties. Uh, I want it all. No hamsters. I steal watches. No dopers, no smokers, no alcoholics. We don't like to write checks. No Donna Juanitas. We don't like to take out the garbage. No posers. What I'm doing right now is making a movie about World War II. No crazies. Santa Monica and my front porch swing. I'm currently involved in cleaning up toxic waste. I'm not having fun doing this. Do you like cats? Domestic violence. I, I like to wear bright socks and I'm an avid Cleveland, Cleveland Browns fan. Sexual abuse. Life is a playground and I want somebody to play with. All sorts of alcoholics and addicts and stuff. Because I really have a zany sense of humor. We probably don't like to clean the house. Uh, my mother still writes to me regularly. Because I average about four hours a night's sleep. I will cry at a commercial. I'm interested in most phases of data processing. Fire-breathing dragons. Type A, I'm not. Comfortable, caring, and serious about a relationship, I am. I'm, I'm really looking for somebody I can feel special about, and I don't encounter people like that very often, and I'm hoping you're one of them. Are you that woman? Please give me a call. And you know that a journey always begins with the first step. And I hope that if you like what I'm trying to say, or you'd like to know more about me, to please write.